Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we rewatch Kevin Costner's amazing flop, Waterworld, and realize it was actually meant to be a documentary. Looking for a summary of the latest report into insurers' handling of last year's floods? I know a guy. After that report, focus moves on the government's flood inquiry. Will it be a bumpy ride? Yes, and there's substantial evidence on both sides. And a blackmail investigation in Ecuador costs 70 million, which means it's definitely flood-like. Yep, it's another emergency. Hello everyone, this week I'm joined by senior journalist Benice Han, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Welcome, Terry. Thank you, Andrew. Hi, Benice. Hi, Andrew. You've managed to avoid talking about the floods. I guess you must be on the higher ground. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Good morning, John. Morning. When it rains, it pours, I guess. Yeah, and we, we could have a few storms today, by all accounts, for cut day. And hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Wendy, our listeners want to know why you're always the first person I question each week. Well, I'm not, am I? I play him today. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wendy, the Deloitte report into insurers' handling of last year's flood catastrophe is out. What conclusions did it draw? Well, really, that the scale of the events and other circumstances at the time, like the impacts from the pandemic, it really exposed weaknesses ranging across planning for such an event to problems getting extra staff in place, technology issues and communication that fell below, you know, community expectations through the through the process. And Deloitte makes recommendations across seven areas, five directed insurers, one to do with better coordination between the industry and government, and um, one directed at having an effective extraordinary catastrophe declaration within the code of practice. And in each of those broad seven recommendations, it sets out a number of points where specific action could be taken. So it suggests things like having better scenario planning and stress testing, perhaps embedding an external customer voice, uh, reducing manual processes and making sure government and insurer responses don't get to sort of get in the way of each other to the detriment of people awaiting assistance. Well, it was an unprecedented event in terms of flood losses, Terry, but should insurers have been better prepared? We're going to be talking about floods for 40 years and possibly 40 centuries, I think. That's always a question and it's one that nobody can answer. Catastrophes don't happen every day and, of course, they're catastrophes by dint of being big and destructive. But well done to ICA for actually examining the the role of insurance post-catastrophe and questioning such things as resourcing and responses. It's a pretty impressive report. I've always been bewildered by politicians using such occasions to heap insults on the industry and its response when government and industry should really be fighting the fight from the same side. There's a lot to come out of this report, and if it's taken up with the enthusiasm that ICA has obviously shown, it could really go far in making the industry more responsive and possibly also more flexible. Well, almost immediately, focus moves to the government's flood inquiry, Wendy. Yes, well, the insurers really sort of got on the front foot with the Deloitte report ahead of the federal parliamentary inquiry, which is looking also looking at you know insurers' response to last year's flooding. So the Deloitte report focused on that CAT two two one, which was the southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales floods in February and March, and the Standing Committee on Economics is looking at that event, but also across the range of flooding that extended down through New South Wales and Victoria over the course of the year. 
it's got a sort of a broader remit. It's been accepting uh, submissions and it's got a first hearing on December 6th where AFCA, APRA and ASIC are going to appear. So things are really starting to get moving on that and it's going to be doing a lot of work over the coming 12 months before it reports at the end of September next year. Apart from an acronym nightmare, could that one be problematic for insurers, John? Yes, I think so. I mean, more so than the Deloitte report, which while while was independent, it was also kind of contained. There were no public hearings, for example. Some of the Deloitte findings, as Wendy says, were were sort of critical of insurers, but it's all very well reasoned and the ICA had plenty of time to to see what was being said and, and prepare their response. The government inquiry will be a very different beast, I think, with public hearings and a focus on the consumer experience. We we know that they're doing a survey of flood victims, and I think we can probably expect to hear some claims case studies, much like we did in the Hain Royal Commission. And the problem with that is that it only takes one vulnerable person in tears to create massive reputational damage for the industry, even if 99 out of 100 claims were dealt with impeccably. I think we can also expect insurance CEOs to get a public grilling by the committee, which rarely works out well. Well, while we're on the subject of flooding, John, our analysis looks into the future of flood cover. Yeah, it does, and specifically at the future of optional flood cover. So I always feel like with flood, we have to sort of explain various basics, one of which is that flood is in in insurance policies is, is defined quite specifically, well, very specifically. So it differs from rainwater runoff and storm cover flood is uh, there is a very uh, clear definition that you can look up but generally speaking it's it's when you're flooded by water from a river or canal or lake or something of that nature so it's different from just flash flooding that's caused by rainfall now the problem of course with flood is that there are some very high risk areas which leads to very high costs so some people in high flood risk areas could face an, an annual premium of $30,000 for example or even more uh, and insurers responded to this by uh, some insurers responded to this by allowing consumers to opt out of the flood aspect of an insurance policy so they can be covered for everything except flood but this is causing some major problems especially after events like last year's massive floods it can be very difficult to determine whether the, the inundation was caused by flood water or rainwater runoff as it's called so oftentimes when someone puts a claim in after a flood insurers have to get hydrologists involved to find out which type of water caused the damage that can take a long long time there can be a massive backlog for hydrologists and in the meantime insurers are paying out things like emergency payments for people and temporary accommodation so insurers are saying now look when there's a flood even if people have opted out of flood we still have to pay out loads of money because while we're waiting to confirm we're paying for things like temporary accommodation and also when we finally get around to denying the claim it's a massive reputational hit for us you know their competitors that don't have these optional products don't have that issue so yeah alliance is saying it's looking at its optional flood product it looks like the writing could be on the wall for that one. We understand IAG is also looking at theirs, although they say no changes at this point. So one industry source said to me that by the end of next year, there might not be any uh, optional flood products left. And what does that mean? Well, for consumers, it means if you're in a high flood risk area and you can't afford the flood premium, you might not be able to get insurance at all. And that is a problem. 
However, we look at it, Terry, the underlying cause of the problem is too many properties in high flood risk areas. And that's not a problem insurers can solve, is it? You're not wrong, Andrew. (laughs) Insurance is always left to deal with the mess caused by governments at all levels, allowing building in high flood risk areas. And that's been going on for many years. But governments are responsible and, and some states are still allowing development in flood prone areas. And the role of property developers in all this should be examined more clearly and closely as well, I think. We're still in the hard market, Benice, but only just. What does the latest mass index show? Yeah, only just. So commercial rates in the Australian market barely moved. I mean, just one up 1% in Q3. And in Q2, it went up 2%. So it's still a hard market, but the pace of increases has definitely gradually slowed down. I mean, since the fourth quarter of 2020, at that time, prices went up a record 35%. So Marsh says the latest figures are good news for insurers. Conditions are improving for clients. Insurers are in a growth mindset right now, and they're putting in capacity across most classes of businesses. Property is probably the only exception. And by that, uh, Marsh saying that cat exposed risk and loss impacted accounts are still seeing some pretty tough pricing out there. So uh, generally, Marsh says we're at the end phase of the hardening cycle and 2024 is looking good for insurers if no major catastrophes erupt. So we'll have to see uh, when it comes to catastrophes, it's really a toss of the coin, I think. Even if prices stop going up, John, it doesn't mean they're going to come down though. Yeah, that's right. Of course, this index just looks at commercial rates and we know that personal lines premiums are still going up fairly rapidly in a lot of cases and contributing to inflation and cost of living issues and all of that kind of stuff. But even on the commercial side, while rates have slowed right down, I don't think anyone is suggesting they're about to start plummeting. We've heard people before talking about the fact that there's a new normal in the market cycle and insureds need to really get used to these new higher rates because insurers are not likely to suddenly start scrapping for market share and dropping prices very suddenly. I think there's also a lot of variation across different lines. So yes, you can look at that sort of overall figure of 1% increase, but to really understand the market, I think you have to look a bit deeper and uh, different different lines are doing different things. And uh, yeah, different risk categories are also doing different things too. Now, Wendy, how does a blackmail investigation in Ecuador end up costing AUB Group $70 million? Well, this is a, a Tizers issue that dates back to before uh, AUB came on the scene. So there's been a US Department of Justice investigation to business conduct in Ecuador by Tizers subsidiary Integro Insurance Brokers. So this relates to suspicions of bribery, corruption and possible money laundering between 2013 and 2017. And the upshot from that is that Tizers has agreed in principle to pay around US $46 million to the DOJ. And, and, you know, this is not an issue that just confined to Tizers. There's been other investigations related to, to businesses and, and issues in Ecuador. But AUB has previously advised that uh, this matter existed and has said it had protections in place in the Tizers transaction documentation. And last week in announcing this um, resolution, it said there's no material earnings impact. So it's... Um, it says it's pleased this legacy matter has is, is been resolved and um, and Tizers is uh, in, invested to improve its compliance program. Does this highlight the dangers of overseas expansion, Terry? 
If you're going to acquire a business that spans much of the world, there are always going to be issues you have to clean up afterwards. When I worked in the oil industry, I found intervention by foreign governments, particularly the US government, wasn't all that unusual. And I don't expect that's changed. If a company wants to trade in the US market, there's an expectation that your behaviour elsewhere meets US expectations. In this case, it's something that Ties has got into before AUB came along, and this is just a, a post-purchase cleanup. No big deal. Well, finally, Benice, ASIC is reporting a rise in breaches from general insurance companies. So ASIC released its uh, stats from the reportable situations uh, regime, a regime for the year to June 30th. So the number of breach matters about general insurance products, uh, it went up to 28%, up from 19% from the prior period. So, uh, and general insurance products have the second highest number of breach, breaches reported. Only credit product lines top to this. So the jump in uh, insurance breaches came from increases in uh, motor vehicle, home building and home contents insurance products. So overall, uh, ASIC is not pleased with what it is seeing from general insurance companies and other financial services licensees. So licensees are taking too long to identify invest and investigate breaches. Remediation activities are still taking too long to complete and the proportion of reporting remains uh, very low. So ASIC is stepping up. The regulator says it is now moving to take stronger regulatory action, and that includes enforcement action where appropriate, so watch out. The regulator is also taking a super provider to court, John. Yeah, ASIC has commenced civil penalty proceedings in the federal court, alleging that Telstra Super failed to meet internal dispute resolution requirements Obviously, this is a, a, a super provider, and uh, you might wonder why we're talking about it on an insurance podcast, but it's the first time that ASIC has brought proceedings under the, the new regime that came into effect two years ago. So there could well be lessons for insurance companies to learn from this. ASIC warns that it could readily identify other licensees which are regularly failing to meet their timeframes for responding to complaints. So uh, yeah, I think every license holder needs to have a look at their internal dispute resolution processes and make sure that everything's as it should be. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, John Deeks, Bernice Han, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.